0: of the Fundamentals Podcast. I am your host, Harley. Joining me on today's episode to talk about all things wrestling, it is the third member of the Skip to the End podcast. That is right, in true Pokemon fashion, I have indeed caught them all. It's Ben. Ben very kindly agreed to come out of his podcasting retirement to discuss wrestling, as it's something that's very near and dear to his heart. So we discuss his interests from early childhood, right the way up to adulthood, all the different industries that now exist within wrestling, and so much more. Something I should warn you about, though, before we get into the conversation, and that is that Ben did forget my cardinal rule, and that is that I run a clean shop on this show. In fairness to him, he did very well, and it was only a couple of occasions, so I've edited around. See if you can spot one in particular. I think I did quite well at disguising it. So without further ado, let's get to the conversation. This is wrestling with Ben from Skip to the End. Hello Ben and welcome to the Fundamentals podcast.
1: Hello Harley, thank you very much for having me.
0: Thank, oh thank you, This is uh, I consider it an, an honour and the completionist in me is quite happy that I've managed to get all three members of Skip to the End on here.
1: And you've saved the best till last, so well done.
0: <laughs> 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 at the risk of offending Mark and Gemma <laughs> no no it's fine. We, can, we can say that we can say that at the very least the most elusive anyway mm-hmm. um, but no that's fine so um, I just want to get started then you, for your chosen topic when well, I reached out to you and thought it would be appropriate to talk about wrestling because if anyone has listened to Skip to the Ann and of course I Need Five they know that wrestling is a huge huge passion for you so to kind of get started, when were you first introduced to wrestling?
1: So I would say it was probably around 30 years ago now. So giving away my age here, but I was about six or seven. So we're, we're talking at around the turn of the 90s. And uh, we didn't have Sky back then. We weren't we weren't that posh, we didn't have Sky. But WCW used to be on Saturday afternoons on ITV. And I, just, I remember vividly being a kid of about six, seven, eight, sitting cross-legged on the floor in front of the telly, watching people like Ric Flair and Sting throw each other around the ring. And from that point on, I was mesmerised by it. I was like, I, yeah, I really, I, I dig this. And that has not changed for 30 years, my position. I'm still sat cross-legged in front of the telly now.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've, I've kind of got an image in my mind of, of like, you know, one of those like, uh, what was like a montage or something of like a, a life happening around you. And you yeah. just sat there staring from eight all the way up to 36 and you haven't moved. Like That's you're right. still yeah. in front of the same screen, same <laughs> clothes, same position. <laughs> That's, that's really cool, man. So, I mean, yeah, it's obviously become a, a lifelong passion for you. So mm. I guess that the real question is is why? What's, what's made it stick around all these years?
1: I mean, that's a good question. And I've been thinking about that today because I knew you were going to ask me that. And I've never, really, <laughs> I've never really kind of thought about it in any real depth. But thinking about it today, I think it's because I find it to be the purest, most fun form of entertainment. As much as I love music, film, TV, football, whatever... Nothing gives me as much joy as pro wrestling. It's something that I can sit there with a big daffy smile on my face, all the time. And even the times when it pisses me off, you kind of get invested. It's the same way that I get pissed off with my sports teams. You know, you get angry at them and wish they would do better. It, it invests you that much. It grabs you by the throat and by the heart. And it's and it might sound to non wrestling fans like I'm overselling it, but to the wrestling fans who are listening, they'll know exactly what I mean.
0: Mm. Okay, so this is something i can kind of understand because I, I don't have a huge knowledge of wrestling but just from looking into it briefly yeah that does seem to be something that's quite universal in the fan base It you, you get invested in the kind of the characters that are given to you on on stage so yeah it's a, who would be your sort of favorites then growing up in the 90s do you have any ones that you really stuck to was that part of the journey for you
1: Yeah, so when when you're a kid and you first get into wrestling, you're not really as much bothered with the matches or with the ring psychology. You're more about the big colourful characters. So I remember when I started watching WWE, which as it was then, WWF, I was interested in Brutus the Barber Beefcake, who was a guy (laughs) who used to come to the ring in pink lycra with a massive pair of shears, which he would then proceed to cut (laughs) people's hair with if he beat them in matches. And that's the kind of wacky, over-the-top nonsense that a seven-year-old kid is going to be drawn to.
0: I Not the kind yeah. of character
1: I'd enjoy now, perhaps, but back then it was. <laughs> <laughs> and then there were, But then when yeah. you start to get a bit older, you start to realise that there are people who have more to them than Pink Liker and Shears. People who actually can wrestle and put on interesting matches. And that's when you start looking at people like Ric Flair or Shawn Michaels, you know, people who are held up as being legends. If you were to put together your Mount Rushmore of wrestlers, they're your first two heads you know and then as you get older you try you you start to appreciate more about it and i think that's why wrestling fans are generally lifelong fans very few people get into wrestling as adults you generally get into wrestling as a kid and you'll either give up on it when you hit puberty because you'll think it's beneath you and you move on to you know girls and other things or you stick with it but you gra- you start to appreciate different things about it it's less about the colorful characters and more about the the storylines and the psychology and the the brutality as well
0: Ah, okay. So it's, we'll talk a bit more about that then. So what, what do you mean by storylines? Because there might be some people listening to this that for all they know, they think wrestling, perhaps they've they've just seen it looks like men in lycra throwing each other about as you as you sort of say at the start. Yeah. But obviously there's more to it than that. So yeah, what about the storylines then?
1: Well, the storylines are massively important because that's what everything hangs on. And I think that's kind of... One of, the th- one of the misconceptions about wrestling, really, I think people from the outside do just see it as kind of greased up muscle men in little pants <laughs> rolling around on the floor. And I get that because it is that in, in large part. But also they're doing it for a reason. They have motivations. They have what they call feuds in wrestling. And, you know, you'll have one wrestler who is uh, feuding with another wrestler. They'll end that feud. They'll then move on to another feud. Uh, so it, it, it never stops. It never ends. But then again, that's why some people, you know, historically have referred to it as a soap for men which I think is a bit sexist because there are a hell of a lot of women fans of wrestling, but they call it a soap for men because it isn't too different from something like EastEnders that just goes on forever with the same characters getting into scrapes and, you know, arguing with different people. Wrestling's basically the same thing. It's EastEnders with more fighting. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and if that's yeah. the
0: tagline, count me in. Yeah, Phil throws Pat Butcher down the stairs instead yeah. of, you know, <laughs> an angry like drops her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I, I don't really care for soaps, but I think I will probably start watching them if that happened. If There were yeah. like crazy stunts in the
1: middle of it or something. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Uh, and the biggest issue for, from non-fans is obviously they, they call it fake, and it is. It's fake in the sense of that it's predetermined. I mean, I don't like the word fake because I think that's dismissive of what the wrestlers do. Match outcomes are predetermined, of course, and they're not actually trying to kick each other's asses. But it's not CGI. It is actually happening. They are putting their bodies on the line, and they really do get hurt. But the the thing that's always interesting to me is when non-wrestling fans try to be dismissive towards wrestling fans they always say oh but it's fake don't you realize it's fake well yeah (laughs) we do we're not stupid we just don't care but films are fake as well I I went to see Tenet at the cinema the other week I know that's not real I know that bullets can't go backwards into guns but it didn't stop me enjoying it the bad sound (laughs) mixing is what stopped me enjoying it but that's a different discussion for a different day but it's always interesting to me that people can't get past the supposed fakeness of wrestling to try and enjoy it, yet they can go and watch films and TV shows to their heart's content. Yeah, that's an excellent point,
0: actually. Yeah, that, that, you're absolutely right. That's, that's a very apt um, comparison. It, yeah, and, and I guess that's something, again, just from what I've briefly heard about wrestling and listening to people like yourself, Ben, talk about it before, is, yeah, you say, it's of course, it's entertainment. We know it's not real like, you, you know, it, we're not savages, you know, watching people literally beat the living daylights out of each other in a cage or something. <laughs> it's, you know, it's I mean, well, I'm sure there maybe there are parts of the world where that's considered entertainment and fair enough. But, you know, <laughs> for the all intents and purposes here, you're right. It's a story. It's people. It's just having fun. It's escapism.
1: That's a great way of putting it, and it's it's a kind of a tale as old as time. It's good guys versus bad guys. It's it's classic. It's as classical as anything you're going to see, and that's what people are drawn to.
0: Yeah, of course. And uh, you know, there's twists and turns, and I imagine that if if, uh, if they if they want to kind of want it to keep it going, then they're going to have to make it interesting for the audiences. So, is that something you can attest to? Then is it not always predictable?
1: It's historically the. It, it, wrestling kind of goes through cycles, creative cycles, let's say. They'll have periods where they've got great wrestlers, great storylines, everything's firing on all cylinders. You never know what's going to happen week to week. Then they'll go through fallow periods where it's kind of the same old rubbish every week. And you can kind of get a bit weary of it. At the minute, I kind of feel like, it's on an upswing, but it differs from company to company, you see. So I'm, I'm talking about wrestling like it's this monolithic thing, but of course it isn't. When people talk about wrestling, more often than not, they're talking about the WWE, formerly WWF. But there are other companies. So, for example, WWE kind of, you know, get a bad rap for sort of treading water and going through the motions and not giving the fans what they want. So upstart companies like AEW come along. AEW launched just over a year ago and are much more tuned in to what the fans want they know that the fans want kind of less less soapiness in the storylines. They want them to be a bit more direct. They want longer matches, harder-hitting matches, matches with more definitive conclusions because one of the issues that WWE gets a lot is non-finishes. It's where f- matches end in DQs or countouts, and the fans hate that, and yet WWE forces it down their throats every bloody week. So different companies spring up in reaction to what other companies are or aren't doing. And at the minute, for all that... Wrestling might not have the mainstream level of cachet that it did in the late 90s, in the so-called Attitude Era. Being a wrestling fan, it's probably the best time to do it right now because there are so many companies alongside WWE, AEW. You've got Ring of Honor, you've got New Japan Pro Wrestling, you've got Impact. um, All all these different companies, all doing it slightly differently, offering something new, something different for the fans. It's a great time to be a fan. Wow, I had no idea that
0: there were all these different companies knocking about. Are there any that kind of stand out to you? You mentioned AW as one, for example. Are there any others that stand out to you at the moment?
1: So Impact is a company that's been around for a long while. They used to be branded as TNA. And they were the the first company since WCW went out of business. TNA were the first company to try and compete with WWE. And for a while there, they gave them a good run. They were never going to catch them because they simply don't have the resources. Um, They then went through quite a fallow period for a few years because WWE pilfered all their best wrestlers. (laughs) And it's taken them a few years to rebuild. The ownership has changed. They've rebranded. They're now called Impact Wrestling. But at the minute, they've got a great roster. Uh, It's a very kind of stripped down, not a lot of fuss, just good quality matches, week on week, good characters, and people are starting to listen to them again and starting to watch them and and their ratings are going up. So uh, there's a lot in the US, but it's also over here in the UK as well. So the WWE has a brand called NXT, which is kind of like their feeder system. It's where the the younger ones or people from other companies, they come to NXT first before they move up to the so-called main roster. And to try and move onto the world stage, they've launched a brand called NXT UK. So we have... WWE-employed wrestlers based here in the UK who put on a show every week that's on um, BT Sports and on the WWE Network. So we're getting, we're getting to see homegrown talent ply their trade as well. And the bigger ones, the successful ones, will eventually go on to join the main roster in America and be on all the big shows like WrestleMania, Royal Rumble and that sort of thing. So it's, it's, it's a much more global thing than it has been in the past. And it's really heartening that it's so good on this side of the pond as well.
0: That's awesome, and thank you. There's some good recommendations there if anyone wants to go and, and check it out. But yeah, it's funny, because I'd, I'd heard of NXT, because like yourself, Ben, I've been to Download a few times, and yeah. you see some shows there, and I must admit, actually, I, I saw a couple of them sort of on they had during the week, and I did think, oh, this actually looks quite fun, like mm. quite silly, and you know they were just obviously having a good time, but um, I and then also saw that film that came out a few years ago, what was it uh, Arrest, uh, Fighting With My Family?
1: Yes, about Paige. Yeah, and mm. I get
0: no idea and, and you know, actually me and my wife really enjoyed that film and when we came away sort of looking her up a bit more and as you say, like I didn't realize that there was this British division that kind of sought out was kind of almost talent seeking in yeah. country and, and then so many people from various parts of the world would you know really dedicate their lives to to this sort of thing.
1: Yeah, it's not something that people would ever half ask. If you go into wrestling, you're in it because you love it. No one's going to go into it to try and make money or make a name for themselves. They're going to go into it because they want to do it. Like WWE wrestlers, people on the main roster, they're on the road 300-plus days a year. Now, obviously, we're in pandemic times, so they're all, they're all kind of situated in, in Florida at the minute. But in pre-pandemic times... They would put on shows in different towns, in different cities, in different states every day, every day of the week. They, they wrestle effectively four to five nights a week, 300 plus days a year. There's no off-season. It's not like football where they get three, three months off in the middle of the year. There's no off-season in wrestling. They work holidays. So if Christmas or New Year New Year's Day happens to fall on a Monday, they've still got to go and do Monday Night Raw. That's their job. They don't get the day off just because it's New Year's. It's something that takes a hell of a lot of dedication. It's a tough life. And I don't think people necessarily outside of wrestling fandom appreciate the level of effort that they put in and the toll that it takes on their bodies as well. I was just about
0: to say, yeah, it's further to that point. You're abs- Yeah, thank you for leaving me on there. I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely a big part of it. I mean, when you watch some of the stuff these guys do and, you know, yeah, okay, you might think all oh, the fake punches look a bit silly or whatever, but I mean, never mind the fact that they just flip themselves over and slammed into the floor. And, you know, you see them do stuff that, You know, it must hurt. (laughs) Yeah. And the fact they're doing it four or five nights a week, I mean, you can't even imagine what that must do to some of them.
1: This is what I mean when I say it, it is real. We know it's predetermined, but this isn't, we're not imagining this. They're actually throwing themselves off cages and through tables and getting hit by mm. chairs. This is actually happening. And even things like being slammed on the canvas. You know, people look at the canvas and how the wrestlers kind of bounce around and, and they assume that it's spring loaded. It's not. A wrestling canvas is planks of wood with, with a thin piece of canvas and maybe a little bit of foam underneath it. It's, you're falling and slapping ass on wood constantly, multiple times a match. Every night of your life. It's, it's, a, it's a tough life. And then not to mention people who do the crazy stunts. Like one of the most famous stunts in wrestling, arguably the most famous wrestling match of all time, was Undertaker versus Mankind at the King of the Ring in 1998. It's the one where Mick Foley was thrown by the Undertaker off the top of a, I think it was 20, 30-foot cage, Fell off, threw off the cage, fell through a table, and that wasn't the end of it. Mick Foley, Mankind, in his infinite wisdom, then climbed back up to the top of the cage again. Undertaker choke slammed him on the cage, and this wasn't supposed to happen. The cage broke, so Mankind went through the cage and landed Ooh. on the canvas to the point where his one of his one of his teeth busted out and came out through his nose. Oh, <laughs> yeah, but you oh, know, oh, res- but, but wrestling's fake, isn't it? <laughs> You know, the, the storylines are scripted. Wow. The matches are predetermined, but the injuries are real. The, the toll yeah. it takes on your body being slammed around. And you're right, when they're punching, they're not actually trying to punch each other out. R- wrestling is the opposite of what people would assume. It's obviously not a real fight. It's a dance. And when you're in a dance, you have a partner and it's your duty to lead your partner in the right way and keep your partner safe. So they have to make it look good, but not actually hurt one another. But it's not ballet. People do get hurt people's careers end there was a, there was a wrestler in the 90s called Darren Drozdov, and uh, another wrestler a wrestler called Dilo Brown went to do a move on him and i think i think the ring was a bit um, a bit wet or a bit sweaty and i think dilo slipped and ended up dropping darren Drozdov on his neck and it paralyzed him paralyzed totally. for life he's he's still in a wheelchair I, I think he's still alive he may have passed but he was definitely in a wheelchair for years this these are the kind of things that can happen yeah well
0: i guess that kind of Speaks to what you were saying earlier. The dedication is, you know, it's like any sort of athlete, really. You know, you you put yourself at risk, in sort of, I mean, I, I guess you would call wrestling then a the most extreme sort of contact sport there is.
1: I guess, I mean, you know, if you compare it to something like UFC, UFC is a yeah. hell of a lot tougher, mixed martial arts, because they are actually trying to kick each other's heads off their necks. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> tough. But conversely, you know, if you're a UFC fighter, you're probably going to have two or three fights a year. Whereas these guys, as I say, are in the ring four or five nights a week. So, for all that it's not full contact like it is in mixed martial arts, they're out there throwing themselves around far more often. And then when they're not wrestling, they're training because they're all, or most of them are big, sort of muscular people. They have to stay in that shape. So, they're in the gym all day as well. They have to make sure they're eating healthy diets, protein rich diets, and all this kind of thing. It's, it's a 24 7 job being a pro wrestler. Yeah, it's,
0: it's funny that because um, I can't remember who I've had this conversation with. A while ago, about that, about they were saying, Why is it they're all big and buff? And, so, and I remember saying, Well, probably because what they do is very physical, so they need to be in good shape. I mean, obviously, there's an aesthetic part of it, you know, it would be good for them to, but then he it also you get people like I think of uh, oh, what's his name, Andre the Giant,
1: yeah, you know, he,
0: he wasn't a rippling, you know, six pack or anything, but he was a big dude, you know, and so there are obviously there's different body types within wrestling but generally speaking like you said they have to be in really good shape to do what they do and to take as much of a beating as
1: they do on a
0: regular basis
1: yeah and it's interesting actually because the body type thing it has changed over the years so really it was it was kind of vince mcmahon the the owner and chairman of the wwe who kind of brought that kind of big muscle man to the fore because that's what vince likes he's a guy who used to run his own bodybuilding federation as well that died Uh. on his ass after a few months but he loves that look because he likes his wrestlers to be effectively um superheroes modern day superheroes that kids can get behind so they aesthetically he likes them to be these big tall muscular looking guys but over the years, that's kind of changed thanks to WCW, partially a company who uh, have been defunct for around 20 years. They started bringing in what are known as cruiserweights, which is, tends to be smaller guys, slightly more svelte guys who can do more athletic things. So rather than being the big meatheads who can just slam you around, these are guys who can you know, jump off the top rope doing flogs, frog splashes and flips and all this kind of stuff. There was kind of a movement towards that which had initially come from what wrestlers were doing in Mexico and Japan. And WCW and, to a lesser extent, ECW brought that over to the US. And the fans really liked that because the the matches that those smaller guys could do tended to be um, more exciting. They were faster and more fun. And then that became, that became a thing, and WWE s- started to notice that as well, and then they started to put more stock into these kind of smaller, cruiserweight-type wrestlers, to so the point now where... A, there's a pretty much a, a fair mix between all all body shapes and sizes compared to if you go back 20 years ago, and the vast majority of wrestlers looked like Hulk Hogan. That's that's no longer the case. You know, there was a time where to be a pro wrestler, you, you sort of had to be six foot two and above if you were going to get anywhere. Whereas now there are numerous wrestlers who are sort of five eight, five nine, and uh, uh, top level guys. There's even a guy in AW called Marco Stunt who I, I don't know his exact height, but looking at him, I think it's about four foot eight. He's the <laughs> smallest man I've ever seen. <laughs> but <laughs> he's in there and he's making a living because Fair people thing. people are more willing i think to suspend their disbelief as well these days they don't expect every wrestler to be a big lunky meathead mm. they're more oh, willing to, they're more willing to believe that people who look like them can wrestle
0: mm, okay well that's, that's good to know that's good to know and it certainly um again it seems like it one of those sports that's constantly evolving from what
1: from what you've yeah. been saying then It has to be. Like anything, you don't want to become stale. So you have to evolve, especially with something that doesn't have an off-season. It's it's never not on. So if you want to keep fans engaged, you've got to grow, you've got to change with the times. And, And one of the things that does that is competition. And that's why WWE had such a fallow period not so long ago, because they really didn't have much by way of competition. They were on top. They had a virtual monopoly, which meant they could do whatever they liked, which meant they didn't put much effort in. But since AEW have come on the scene a year ago, since New Japan Pro Wrestling have started to get a foothold in the US and the UK and all around the world, really, WWE and other major companies are having to step up there and to compete with one another to give the fans the best product. Mm, and like anything, uh, like anything, competition breeds success.
0: So yeah, the f- we, the fans,
1: are, are better off for it. The more companies that are out there pushing the envelope, the better we are.
0: Brilliant, yeah. Uh, again, it sounds like even more of a reason to, to check this stuff out. It sounds like an absolute plethora of stuff to check out. This is something I, I really like, actually, whenever I've done these... Com- I've only done a few episodes, but just from it's a common thread I'm noticing throughout discussing all these different hobbies, these interests, passions, whatever is there's always more to it than you initially think. Yeah. And I, and I love that. The more you're talking, the more I'm kind of like, whoa, okay. I didn't realize that actually – I knew that wrestling was a bigger world, but the more you're talking, the more it's, it's just expanding right in front of me. And that's really cool. That's really cool to see that there's actually so much more to it than you'd initially think.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it, it's one of those things where it's very hard to try and sell professional wrestling to an adult because, as I said, it tends to be something you've got into as a kid. And, you know, unless you're already into it, unless you've grown up with it or invested a lot of time in it, it's hard to convince someone to watch it. You know, it, the, the Undertaker-Mankind match that I talked about earlier, the King of the Ring match, that's the kind of match where you can show non-fans and say, look, this is what wrestling can be like. If you like that, there might be something else you'll enjoy. And that can catch people. But generally speaking, if you were to go go away and watch one episode of WWE Raw or SmackDown, that's not going to do enough of a sales job. It, it's, it, I think that's probably the biggest problem with wrestling. It's... It tends to be geared towards diehards. They, tr- they try their best to try and bring in new fans, but not with the greatest level of success, certainly not in WWE recently. That's why their viewing figures in the US have been on a, on a downward slope, because casual fans are kind of dying off. Diehards are still there, they're going nowhere. But casual fans are sort of going off because there's not a lot to grab them. And I don't know how you arrest that slide. I don't know what you can do to bring in new fans who haven't grown up with it.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting point, and I'm guessing then WW, sorry, WWE, is more of a um, the kind of higher end sort of like a it, it kind of strikes me as a bit more of a glamorous side to wrestling. Like there's a lot more, you know, bright lights and flashy costumes. Yeah, and, and that
1: you know, that comes from the nineties. That comes with the territory of them being the richest by a. a, a a massive distance so Vince McMahon who runs the company is a billionaire they're a publicly traded company so they have a lot of money flying around from investors and so on and so forth so they can afford to put on a show so theirs is the kind of the acceptable face of pro wrestling generally the, the smaller companies we tend to refer them as indie independent wrestling companies and they tend to have less money um you know that they're, they're a bit more kind of uh, guerrilla operations in in some ways but the issue with that is because WWE are the acceptable face of pro wrestling and because they have the money and because they have shareholders they've had to become a PG product so have you heard of the the attitude era in wrestling
0: yes i have so that was that kind of the 90s early Early
1: 2000s. Ex- exactly right, yeah. So, sort of starting around 96, 97, the Attitude Era kicked off, which is when you had people like Stone Cold Steve Austin. A little bit later, you had Dwayne the Rock Johnson. In WCW, they had the NWO, so people like Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, and so on. And it's when you had these characters who were larger than life, but still c- kind of quite grounded. They felt like real people rather than gimmicks. And they felt like badasses. You know, they would take on their own bosses, they'd just give them the finger, and then they'd swig a beer and that was all well and good and around that time people really drew into that and it's because the product wasn't pg at the time of the attitude era i think it was rated 14 in the us it was four sort of mid teenagers and up but then when wwe became successful off the back of that and started making a lot of money they then had to answer to their shareholders and answer to their advertisers and then they had to tone down the product so it's it's called the pg era now which means as 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 fun as it is and i love the wwe and a lot of it can be very very good it can be quite i don't think is the right word but it's not as as adult or as geared towards adults as it once was which i think is part of the reason why they're not grabbing new fans or any new fans they are grabbing are uh, like 9 years old it's it's hard it's hard to get new eyes on the pro- new adult eyes on the product uh, the way the way that you do that really is big names or or superstar names, people who break through into the mainstream. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why it happened in the Attitude Era, because people responded to Stone Cold Steve Austin. They liked the idea of this beer-swilling badass who would give the finger to his boss. It resonated with the working-class public. But there really isn't anyone like that that's breaking through to the mainstream in in pro wrestling, or or certainly not in the WWE right now, which makes it even harder to bring new eyes to the product
0: that's quite interesting and i guess that makes sense because it is double-edged sword i suppose i can understand why they would kind of tone it down so to speak to you know bring in kids and get them on board, board early but as you say if the product sort of remains at that level then yeah of course they're gonna peter off when they yeah. get older because they're gonna go well yeah it was all well and good when i was nine but it hasn't changed and i'm not interested in this anymore and
1: that's it. And, and I think that's why there are so many people of my generation, sort of mid-30s, who are diehard fans. Because when we were seven and eight, we had the colourful, larger-than-life characters like Hulk Hogan and Brutus the Barber Beefcake in their Lycra. Then by the time we got into puberty, that's when the Attitude Era was kicking off. So we were getting older, just as the business was kind of getting a bit raunchier and a bit a bit more hardcore. So uh, that's why there's still a, a massive cadre of fans around my age group. And I think, uh, I'm sure I read this somewhere, I think the WWE's um, average age is something like 32. The assumption from outsiders is that people who watch wrestling are, are all kids. But it is men of around my age is the main demographic. Interesting.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, I kind of like that, though. I like stuff where you... Um you sort of develop a, a long term appreciation for it, and you yeah. grow with it. I think that's it's like kind of like I mean, you can appreciate this analogy like following a band, you know, as you go, and you watch them go from album to album and progress. It's kind of like a nice journey to go on. So yeah. like, I can totally understand why you why you would feel that way about wrestling.
1: Well, I'll give you I'll give you a perfect comparison for me in terms of music. Again, with my age group, I was just starting to get into you know guitar music in my early teens. Just or, or a, bit, a bit younger than that, maybe just pre-teens, just as the whole new metal thing kicked off. And new metal is a great gateway into real metal. Not, not that new right. metal isn't real, but you know what I mean. It's I, a great gateway because it's, it's more kind of radio-friendly and some of it kind of has hip-hop influences. It's easier to kind of dance along to or play air guitar along to or whatever. And then as I got older and that genre kind of faded away, I then wanted heavier, harder stuff, and then that's when I kind of developed my taste. So it's the same sort of thing. I was kind of, with my music taste and my wrestling taste, I was in the right place at the right time, I think.
0: Definitely. Quite famously, I think a lot of wrestlers used sort of rock and metal tracks for their opening
1: songs yeah and stuff like that just kind of cool and and there's there's absolutely a crossover there for me so one of the one of the wrestling companies that used to be around when i was getting into wrestling in the in the 90s was a company called ecw extreme championship wrestling and they were basically the heavy metal version of wrestling their their main show the theme tune was a was a white zombie song oh. um one of their wrestlers i think it was rob van dam his entrance music was walk by pantera Nice. Yeah, so there there was a lot of crossover there. For me, especially as a a burgeoning wrestling fan and a burgeoning metalhead, hell of a lot of crossover. Those two things went hand in hand for me. Mm, And
0: hence why, yeah, the NXT and others turn up at download and other metal festivals. It kind of makes sense as a crime. Yeah, Uh, and a
1: a large part of that is because the, the person who controls NXT is a guy called Triple H, who you might have heard of. I have, yeah. Yeah, so you know, he's a very successful pro wrestler, but he's now an actual executive within WWE, and he is a known dyed in the wall metalhead. So it was his idea when he kind of created NXT that he wanted to get them out there on the road, and he thought, yeah, let's get them out there in metal festivals, and they—that's kind of how they position NXT in the market. So WWE's main roster shows, Raw and SmackDown, Triple H kind of describes them as they're—they're they're the pop charts, they're the top forty, NXT is metal nxt is punk and that's even even reflected in what their arenas look like so where they're wrestling now because it's you know we're in, we're in pandemic times they're wrestling out of the same arenas every week rather than being on the road so wwe the shows they're putting on for raw and smackdown in this big arena in in florida it's as you've said you know it's all lights and explosions and beautifully presented and clean cut and everything nxt is put on from their own performance center which is where their up and coming wrestlers train and it's grungy and it's dark and they've got like metal chain link fences around the ring to make it look like a like a dive bar or a dive club where you would see some grungy metal band and that's a that's a a, a chosen aesthetic choice so that people see or view nxt as being different from the main roster shows and that's all because that's all because Triple H is a metalhead he was good friends with lemmy from motörhead i'm sure he gave um, a speech at lemmy's funeral wow huh
0: yeah I, I could imagine he would if that was the case <laughs> that's really cool i had no idea there you go again If you know another reason i guess to to go and check these things well, certainly for me anyway I don't mm. know about <laughs> anyone else listening but i think this is really really interesting and so I'm, something i've always been interested in is that you mentioned it just a minute ago. There is a crossover in mainstream. So some of the names you mentioned, for example, like Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, yeah. Wayne Johnson, uh, John Cena recently been John's, has, has been I in films. Say, yeah. Yes, John Cena, Dave, Dave Bautista. Uh, you know, the list goes on. It feels like uh, there is a good crossover then with a lot of these guys going into acting and. I mean, I, I've always thought that has something to do with them being on the road all the time then, and then performing every night. Would you say that's probably yeah, a
1: part of it? that's absolutely true, because, you know, if, if you're a wrestler who's on, um, on live TV for two, three, four hours a week, whatever it might be, it's kind of like doing theatre. It is live, part sometimes scripted, sometimes unscripted, so you, you might have to learn lines or you might have to be ad-libbing, improvising, but it's exercising a muscle that a lot of screen actors don't ever get to use. That's why I think... Uh, you know, recently, especially some wrestlers have found good careers in Hollywood because they have this skill set that other actors don't have that they can take with them and develop.
0: Mm, yeah, certainly, and, and a lot of them, I, particularly, I think of people like Dwayne Johnson and sort of John Cena are able to. Uh, even Dave Bautista, I, I absolutely—I mean, who doesn't love Drax from Guardians? Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is, I—I like, I, I don't know. You can probably help sort of assess this uh, theory that I have. But I think because they dress up in spandex and, you know, do these storylines and jump around for weeks on end that they learn to do something that I think a lot of us struggle with, which is not to take themselves seriously. So when it comes to films, they can just dive into, you know, it's like Dave Bautista. Oh, you want me to be a blue alien and and make stupid remarks? Then fine, I'll do that. And he does it really well because he's like, yeah, it's this is nothing
1: compared to what I've done before. That, that's it, yeah. He, he spent the 10 years prior to that walking out in a wrestling ring in the smallest pair of pants you've ever seen. Nothing can phase him. A, yeah. bit of, a bit of blue paint <laughs> is not going to phase him. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. I, I, I think people underestimate how experienced wrestlers are in terms of putting on a show being out there, being confident, on live TV. I remember when The Rock, this was a long, long time ago, The Rock first presented um, Saturday Night Live, and he did a great job. And I remember reading reviews afterwards, people saying, oh, man, who'd have thought that this wrestler would be so good on, on Saturday Night Live? And my response then is what I've just said to you now. He does live TV every week. He's out there cracking wise on live TV every week. If, if he can't do Saturday Night Live, then I don't know who could.
0: Absolutely, yeah, and... I, th- I think another part of it is, I guess you build up charisma. Absolutely. You know, because you've I, from what I've read as well, and again, you can expand on this for me. Is I've I've heard that a lot of it is down to building a character, and if you want to have a successful career, you've got to get the audience to respond to you. And mm-hmm. like I, know, I heard stories, from my interviews with Dwayne Johnson saying how in the early days, you know, they, they wanted his character to be like a goody two shoes kind of guy, yeah, but it, but for whatever reason, the crowd just didn't vibe with it maybe he didn't feel comfortable doing it and when they sort of flipped it around and they made him what's known as a heel I believe is the mm-hmm. term isn't it as yep. a villain that's when his career went like that and and the crowds loved him because he could just turn it up to 11 and just have fun being a, a you know a, a real idiot but just you know run with it
1: that, yeah that's exactly right when he first came into WWE he was known as Rocky Maivia and that was based off the fact that his grandfather was the High Chief Peter Maiavea, who was a pro wrestler, like, like Samoan royalty in the wrestling industry. So they wanted to trade off the fact that Rocky was a third-generation wrestler. But he was what they call a white meat baby face. That's a, a good guy who just comes out smiling, cheering at the crowd, you know, kissing little babies, all that nonsense. And it was all wrong for him. And even though he was supposed to be a good guy, the crowd turned on him. The, the chance of, Rocky sucks, Rocky sucks, would be deafening. It just didn't work. So basically they said to Dwayne, or maybe Dwayne maybe went to them and said, look, I need to put a bit of myself in this character. I can't just be this smiling, waving, happy-to-be-here guy. And that's when they allowed him to turn and become a heel when he became just this cocky, uh, I was about to swear there, but I know you run a clean shot, <laughs> so I'm not going to swear, this cocky guy uh, <clears throat> who is just so charismatic that even though he was a bad guy, you couldn't help but love him. It's one, of, it's one of the grand ironies of, of pro-wrestling characterization. actually. If someone tries too much to be a good guy, the fans hate them. Whereas if they're a really good bad guy, the fans will love them. And it's the opposite reaction that they're actually trying to generate.
0: Well, I mean, who doesn't love a good villain?
1: Yeah, this is true. It's absolutely true. And it's, it's kind of an art of trying to be a genuine bad guy, a bad guy who gets booze. Most bad guys, most heels in wrestling are, are kind of cool heels, They're the kind of, because everyone wants to be Stone Cold Steve Austin. So they're all the guys who who flip off the boss and swig a beer. But it's interesting to me when you find wrestlers who don't try and be that. They just want to be, that's what they want to be, rather than, you know, funny guys, funny bad guys, charismatic bad guys. They just want to be horrible. And there are fewer and fewer of them these days. So it's always interesting when it works, when you see a heel actually getting booed, which is what they're supposed to do. Like there was a guy called, there's a guy in NXT called Tommaso Ciampa, who's a magnificent wrestler. And he had a legendary feud a couple of years ago with a guy called Johnny Gargano. And they are genuinely best friends. I think Ciampa was Gargano's uh, best man at his wedding. So they know each other as, as any two wrestlers can. And they put on a magnificent feud. Well, initially they were a tag team and they were brilliant together. They won the tag team championships. Everyone loved them. Then Ciampa turned on Johnny. And everyone loved Johnny at this point. You know, he was the heart of NXT. So the fact that Champa turned on this, not only his tag team partner, but his genuine real life best friend, the crowd hated Champa. <laughs> and what, what WWE did to capitalize on it, which was a masterstroke, is as you know, when wrestlers come to the ring, they come out to their entrance music. Champa, after he turned heel, didn't have any entrance music. He would come out in silence. So all you would hear was deafening booze. Raining down on this man and it was incredible because it was the rare occurrence these days of a bad guy genuinely being hated and not being loved because he was a cool, cocky bad guy.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's that's genius. That's a genius um bit of theatre there. Wow.
1: <laughs> and that's what that's that's exactly what it is, it's theatre. And again, you know, I know I've harped on this, but I don't think wrestlers get the credit they deserve for the work not not just the in-ring punishment their bodies go through, but the characterization this this hours of live improv or live scripted work that they're doing building up their characters i don't think they get the respect they deserve and they love they should get for how much effort they're putting in
0: absolutely i mean just sort of staying with this for a minute i i agree i think how hard is it to sell a performance you, th- you think of how many actors you know in film and television struggle to do that and and that's edited you know that's like they'll, they'll film weeks on and they'll chop and change things as you say, to do that live for I didn't realise it was that many days a year, like your hundred odd days a year. And to sell it, you know, and you get crowds on site so And imagine again, as you said, they're touring, so it's different audiences, different nights. That's that takes a lot. That takes an awful lot. I mean, i that kind of makes me feel anxious just thinking about it from
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: That's my worst it's, nightmare. It's, a, <laughs> it's it's
1: a huge it's a huge, huge commitment. You're effectively signing your life away, so you need to love it. There's no point doing it if you're only half committed.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. How many of us could honestly say that we would be fine going out to a crowd of either cheering or booing people <laughs> in spandex, and you have to make sure you throw your friend across a ring and not break their spine? I mean, that—that that just. Sounds... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you've got to do that four times a week. <laughs> it's yeah, like, okay, exactly. I'll pass, thank you. I'll stick to podcasting. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm comfortable here and safe, but yes. Yeah, <laughs> so... Wow, absolutely amazing stuff, and I mean, it's funny as well. I was thinking about this the other day. Like, there's a reason why people like Dwayne Johnson are now like, the biggest actors in the world, as well. You know, making all this money, and and you can't help mm. but love the guy. Yeah. You know? and, and again, I think a lot of that comes from wrestling, and, and I I personally now find myself keeping a, a sort of withering eye on what's going on in that community, just to see if there's any other people on the rise up, because they seem to be some of the best actors out there.
1: Yeah, some of them can be. Some of them can really translate well. Yeah. Uh, I, per- I personally think of the wrestlers who've gone on to become actors. Dave Batista is the best by a mile. Mm. And I'm not just talking about Drax. He's wonderful in Drax. Yeah. But when he gets to really act, like I don't know if you've seen Blade Runner 2049. That is
0: my favourite film of all time. Um, really? Yes.
1: It, it, uh, well, you know, uh, uh, Blade Runner the original is my favourite of all time. Mm. And I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of 2049 as well. Mm. And I think Batista, although it's a small role, is brilliant uh, he's as... as
0: He's incredible. Yeah, you're
1: right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as Sapper Morton, it's only a small role. He's he's probably got five, ten minutes screen time all in, but he's really affecting and really quite moving, because it's it's a really out of character role. He's you know because he's this you know replicant who's on his way out. Effectively, he's old. he's, he's a bit broken down. It's not what you would expect from big muscle man Dave Batista, but he nails it. And this is, you know, this is why um, Dennis Villeneuve has hired him to be in the, the Dune remake that he's doing because he knows that Batista isn't just a guy you can chuck in an action film. He's a guy who can act.
0: Oh, big time! And I'm personally really looking forward to seeing that for that movie. Um, yeah, and like to see that team up as well. I, I would highly encourage anyone to go and watch both Blade Runner films. Anyway, I mean, if you're listening to yes. this, I'd like to think you you would be on board with that. Um, but yeah it, you're absolutely right. that sequel just I, I was really surprised I didn't realize he was in it, and just mm-hmm. that op- he's in that opening scene for five minutes. and like you say, I was really impressed it was such a quiet kind of understated performance for him. It wasn't big and loud yeah. and thrashy it was and he ha- he says he has a line that I won't spoil that ends up being incredibly profound for the whole film and it's mm-hmm. in fair play that's that's a lot of confidence for a director who's directing a sequel to a film that was a cult hit had all this pressure behind it, and you've got, you know, okay, we need need a scene partner for Ryan Gosling, of all people. Um, Yeah, let's bring in Dave Bautista. I think that speaks volumes to the confidence that he must have had in him to to pull that off.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I love the fact that Bautista comes out and says, you know, I I don't want to be an action star. I want to be an actor. You know, he wants to be a guy who at some point is being considered for Oscars, not just the big franchise movies. And I think when he said it, people took it as a, a bit of a slight on The Rock. And I don't think he meant it that way. I don't think he was trying to denigrate The Rock's achievements because The Rock is the highest paid actor in Hollywood, universally beloved, everyone loves The Rock. So I don't think he was trying to slight him, but I think he was just trying to make the point that that's not the path he wants to take.
0: Yeah.
1: Necessarily. I
0: mean, no, that's fair enough. Like, uh, rock. I think uh, Dwayne Johnson kind of approaches it as more of a business mind of, you know, I'll just take what job I can get and build off it. And, that, and that's quite a smart way of going about it. But just this is kind of a side note, but I kind of feel like that's often the case with a lot of actors, though. So you get the actors that treat it as... And, and there's nothing wrong with either approach, by the way. I'm not saying this. Um, but what I am saying is I feel like actors in general, they'll either just... You'll get, like, your Sam Jacksons, your Dwayne Johnsons, who just say yes to everything. Because yeah. it's a paycheck, and they'll do the good job, they'll have fun. But it's just that at the end of the day, it's a job, and they're happy to do it. And then you get actors like it sounds like Dave Bautista wants to be, or you know, you're kind of more, si- you know, on the other side of it, you've got like your Leo DiCaprio as these sort of big heavy hitters that will very carefully choose their filmography.
1: Yeah, and
0: there's nothing wrong with either approach because both of them work. But that, that's really interesting that Dave Bautista's going down more that road and trying to be a little yeah. careful with what he's doing.
1: Yeah. Especially because that isn't what you would expect of a wrestler. So John Cena at the minute is trying to go down the the Dwayne Johnson route. You know, being in blockbuster films like um, what was he in uh, Transformers, wasn't he? John Cena, and then he's he's uh, he's going to be in the new um, Suicide Squad film, which I'm sure will be great. Um, so I, I think he's trying to go down a bit more of that be a big Hollywood action hero route and I I think that's what he's best I don't I don't think John Cena necessarily has the subtleties within his acting that Batista has so I think going the rock route of big brash action stars is the right way for Cena although that being said Cena's actually very funny I don't know if you saw the film Blockers starring John Cena I
0: didn't know I know he's in it
1: yeah that's a very good film and he's very funny in it so I think he should look to do more comedy
0: yeah, I, I've seen him in the, like do cameos in in comedies, and he's he always grabs me actually whenever he comes on because he's, he's he has got very good comedic chops. I think he's got a very excellent dry delivery, which is yeah. quite good. And I yeah, I agree. I'd, I'd like to see him do more comedy.
1: And I think if if anyone else, if anyone is going to break out of the wrestling industry at the minute and be the next John Cena or Batista or whoever, I think it's going to be a guy called Roman Reigns. So he at the minute is um, the universal champion in in WWE. And he is, I don't know what he is. He's about six foot five. He's, he's from the same Samoan lineage as The Rock. He's The Rock's cousin. And he's, he's incredibly handsome. He's got a great look. He's just had his teeth done. So he's got these big pearly whites, cr- classic Hollywood smile. And he has so much charisma and presence. You just know he's in a room. He dominates the room. And he's already sort of dipped his, dipped his toe into wrestling. He was in one of the recent Fast and Furious films with his cousin The Rock. He had a very small role. I don't think he even had a line, but he's clearly interested in that. And I, I think that you know, mark my words. I think he will be the next mainstream breakout star.
0: Um, I've just googled him, and oh my, that is a very handsome
1: <laughs> man. <laughs> he is a handsome dude. It's wow. upsetting, isn't it? It's he, annoying.
0: D- yeah, it's annoying. Do you know what he reminds me of? He's like a cross between Jason Momoa and Dwayne Johnson. Like, yes,
1: that's, that's it's spot on.
0: Yeah, this this guy is definitely going somewhere. If he isn't, then. I don't know, something's wrong. But, you know, he strikes me as
1: the type. Yeah, and the funny thing is, people are only just waking up to how good he is. So he's been in in WWE for, I don't know, six or seven years. And he came through NXT, and then when he came to the main roster, he was in a, a, a team called The Shield. Him, Seth Rollins, and Dean Ambrose were a faction that everybody loved. The faction splintered. And Roman Reigns was then kind of pushed down everyone's throats as the new babyface, kind of going back to what I was saying about The Rock when he was Rocky Fear and the fans didn't take to him. It was kind of the same thing with Reigns. He's this big, huge dude who could clearly be a badass, but they wanted him to be the white meat babyface, smiling and waving and saying corny one-liners. And the fans just rejected it. It was like they were rejecting a transplant. They just (laughs) threw it out of the body entirely. (laughs) And and, and uh, as much as the fans kept rejecting him, Vince McMahon because he's just a contrary man, decided to keep forcing him down our throat. So I think he main-evented WrestleMania four years running, and fans were furious. Uh, Roman then went away for, for an extended period over the last couple of years because he's, he's, he had leukemia as a younger man, and his leukemia came back. This is, this is all real life, not storyline. So he had to take some time off because of his leukemia. When he came back, he was still a good guy, and, but the fans weren't hating on him quite as much because, obviously, you know he'd, he'd been dealing with cancer. He then went away again when the um, pandemic started because I think he just didn't want to be around it because he's got young kids. So he wanted to keep his kids safe. When he returned a few weeks ago, everyone kind of assumed it would be, you know, normal service resumed. But he came back as a heel for the first time. What fans have been clamoring for for years, he's come back as a heel. And he's in a program feuding with his real life cousin, Jay Uso. And it's the best thing going in wrestling at the minute. And everyone is now going, wow, Roman Reigns is amazing. He's so charismatic. He's so brilliant on the mic. Who knew he was this good? We always knew he was this good. Vince McMahon just wouldn't let us see it. He just wouldn't give us what we want. But now people are seeing how brilliant Roman Reigns is, and everyone's loving him again.
0: Wow. That's that's quite a story. I, I must admit, I'm going to have to go and check, check a bit more of this stuff out. But it's so funny you said that, actually, about him being a babyface. I just... I just, I don't know, people at home, I was just, like, the whole time frowning because I was really confused. Like, just just from looking at a picture of that very handsome man, um, <laughs> yeah, I cannot say it enough. And he, uh, <laughs> I am just looking at him thinking, he looks like someone that should be a heel. Like, he just has that kind yeah. of dark brooding intensity that you're like, oh, yeah, that's a bad guy. That's, that's, yeah, yeah, that's really weird. And you've
1: got... You've kind of nailed it from looking at him the dark brooding intensity because you get heels who come into the ring screaming and shouting and ranting and raving he's not one of those he's the guy who comes in speaks quietly slowly and deliberately and you listen he is he just commands the room with that dark dark charisma and he's brilliant he's absolutely brilliant and I absolutely believe he will be a mainstream star
0: Yeah well we'll keep an eye on that guy as one to watch there so um speaking of watching I have to ask them where's the best places to sort of check out all of this stuff? Are there any kind of services people can tap into or channels? What would what you recommend?
1: So if you want to watch WWE, you can get the WWE Network, which is their kind of streaming service that you can get, you know, through most avenues on, on your Amazon Fire Stick or what have you. That's nine ninety nine a month. And the best thing about that is, included in the $9.99 a month, you get to watch the monthly pay-per-view events. So each month, approximately, they have a big pay-per-view event that is effectively the culmination of that month's storylines. That's when you'll have the big blow-off matches that all the storylines have led to. Uh, So you get all of those for free, and then you get the back catalogue of every every WWE pay-per-view and show from the last 30, 40 years or whatever it is, all all including that nine ninety nine, 99 plus the fact that WCW, when they went out of business, WWE bought them. Same with ECW, when they went out of business, WWE bought them. So they have the back catalogs from those federations on there as well. Uh, it, it's, it's a really extensive catalog if you're a fan of WWE, WCW, or ECW. If you want to get into AEW, who are the kind of upstart promotion who've been around for a year, they actually have a TV deal in the UK on ITV. I believe, their, I believe their show is on ITV too, uh, but you can also watch it through the Fight TV app. So I have I have the kind of AEW monthly pass, which I think I pay $3.99 or $4.99, which then allows me to watch AEW's weekly show, which is on Wednesday's Dynamite. I get to watch that free, well, not free, four night, four quid a month, whatever it is. I can watch that live, or you can watch it on demand the next day. There are so many different arenas. Um, I think Impact Impact Wrestling do a similar thing when you can sign up to a monthly service there's so much content out there new japan pro wrestling again same they've got their own streaming service if you want to find wrestling you can find it there's plenty
0: yeah and it sounds like some great places to go i mean just when you were saying there about all of those extensive back catalogs i thought wow that's that's a lot of
1: wrestling (laughs) yeah it's brilliant (laughs) it is you know because because like me you know i'm a fan of older stuff so just the other day, I was like, mm, I really want to watch WrestleMania 24. So I popped on WrestleMania 24, which is from 12 years ago, because it's all there on the network. And the reason why I watched that is because it's got, in my opinion, the best match of all time, Ric Flair versus Shawn Michaels, which is just a, a phenomenal match. It was Ric Flair's retirement match. It's full of pathos, full of heart. It's a real tearjerker of a match. And being able to just go back and watch those things on demand whenever you like is fantastic. I was, you
0: know, it's funny, I was going to ask you, actually, what's your favourite match?
1: Yeah, well, well, it, it, it's that one because it was it was the end of Ric Flair's thirty six year career. So I'm sure you've heard the name Ric Flair, and and for the longest time he was the biggest in the business. You know, back in the territory days in the in the seventies and so on, he used to go all around the country, especially you know around the South, and he was the biggest draw in pro wrestling. He made the most money. He was a cornerstone of WCW throughout all their years. When they folded, he went to WWF or WWE as it is now. And then he finally brought his career to an end at WrestleMania 24, where he faced Shawn Michaels. And as I said earlier in the show, they are pretty much known to be the two greatest to ever do it. And it was was basically, if Michaels beat Flair, Flair had to retire. That was the storyline. And then Shawn Michaels did beat Ric Flair. But it's the ending of the match that's one of the most beautiful things you'll ever see in wrestling. So Shawn Michaels, both in character and out of character, loves Ric Flair because everyone does, they appreciate him. So Shawn Michaels, right at the end of that match, as he's gearing up to hit him with his finishing move, which is a a super kick called the Sweet Chin Music, you see Shawn Michaels look at Ric Flair and say, I'm sorry, I love you. And then he kicks him in the face. (laughs) And it's it's heartbreaking seeing him say, I'm sorry, I love you. You're like, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever seen. And then he kicks him in the face and wins the match. And that's the end of Ric Flair's career. And then the two of them are kind of hugging and crying in the ring afterwards. And it's incredible it's the greatest thing to happen in wrestling the shame of it is because rick flair has so many ex-wives and has to pay so much alimony he ended up coming out of retirement a couple of years later to wrestle for tna which kind of tarnished the whole thing a little bit but if you ignore that it's still one of the greatest things in wrestling history and it was a great match as well not just the ending it was a fantastic match
0: cool well there you go that's a, an amazing recommendation i just wanted to ask as well the names the names that you have been dropping of the moves. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> do, you, do you have like a list of sort of favourites or <laughs> anything like that? What, in terms of the names? Well, just in general, because like some of the ones you've been dropping, I just, I think they're amazing.
1: One <laughs> what, what of my favourite moves, both for the move and the name, it, it's a move where the guy will kind of lift the other guy up on his shoulders and then fall to his side and kind of drop him on his back, in the back of his neck, and it's called the burning hammer. And I just think that's amazing. the Burning hammer. <laughs>
0: That is great. Nine-year-old Ben is
1: incredibly happy hearing
0: that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that. I love so cool. And do do um, a lot of wrestlers get to create their own uh, sort of moves, or is that something they work out with the stunt coordinators and stuff like that?
1: I mean, well, they d- well they don't have stunt coordinators. I mean, you, okay. you'll have they'll have producers. So wrestling have producers, which effectively just uh, retired wrestlers who will help current wrestlers to kind of learn the ropes and then help them put together their matches. Uh, but generally speaking most wrestlers come up with their own finishes and they try not to encroach on other people's finishes. So the most famous finisher probably is Stone Cold Steve Austin, Stone Cold Stunner, which you may have seen. It's where he kind of kicks them in the gut and then grabs their their head on his shoulder, drops them to the ground, Stone Cold Stunner. And he was synonymous with that move and no one would really touch that after he retired. But now there's a chap in WWE called Kevin Owens who's doing that. And I believe he asked Stone Cold Steve Austin in real life for his permission to use it. Not that Stone Cold could have said no, but it was just a courtesy thing because you know it was a respect thing that he didn't want to kind of encroach on his on his big move, the thing that made him famous.
0: Mm. Oh, but enough. yeah,
1: generally they generally they come up with their own finishes. Yeah,
0: that's really that's another thing I think is quite impressive. Then to work out your your own stunts and your own sort of coordination. That's hmm, there you go, guys. That's another reason to check this stuff out. It sounds like there's a lot of work that goes into this on the part of of the wrestler.
1: And w- one of the things that I think is kind of um, misconstrued about wrestling is they assume that because the results are predetermined, that everything that happens in a match has been choreographed. They think that every move, every turn, every you know up and down has been choreographed. And that's not always true. Sometimes it is, but generally speaking, especially with experienced wrestlers, they say, the term is, they'll call it in the ring, which means they go out there, they know how long their match is going to be, because matches have to be timed out to make sure that shows don't overrun. So they'll know they've got seven minutes, or they'll know they've got 12 minutes. And they'll go out there, and they know how the match has to end, how they get from point A to point B in that time span is up to them. They call it in the ring because they're pros. They know what they're doing. And that's why sometimes you might catch a glimpse of a wrestler sort of whispering in the other one's ear. It's They're kind of linking things together as they do it. But it's a hell of a skill to be able to go and put on, you know, a 25-minute uh, match sometimes where they're just making it up as they go along in there because it looks so smooth and so choreographed. But they're just pros. They know what they're doing.
0: Incredible, like freeform jazz, but
1: with you know, <laughs> dropping each other yeah. on your neck or something. Yes, <laughs> yeah. freeform jazz with elbow drops. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think I'd probably enjoy yeah. jazz more if there, was <laughs> if there were yeah. more elbow drops.
0: Yeah, if we just turn around and went
1: bam with the guitar and then just carried
0: on playing. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I love, I love all of this. Like, this is in- incredible information. And so, I'm guessing then that it's sort of coming back to what you were saying at the start. Finding out more of this stuff then as you go, as you get older, the behind the scenes, I'm assuming Mm. that's helped you to develop a richer appreciation for this then.
1: Massively. So it was kind of around around the Attitude Era, maybe a bit earlier than that, when behind the scenes news of pro wrestling started to leak out. So uh, up to about the, the mid 80s, there was such a thing called kayfabe, but there still is technically. But there was—it was more famous about that. I think called kayfabe, which is basically the code between wrestlers. The code being that you don't let people know that it's fake. You don't let people know that it's a show and not a legitimate athletic competition. In the mid '80s, that kind of went out the window m- due to some court cases, really, that like Vince McMahon was involved in and stuff. And then gradually over time, kayfabe just disappeared entirely with the advent of the internet, because rumours and you know booking decisions and all this kind of stuff started to leak online. Um, people were writing magazines with wrestling spoilers and all behind-the-scenes se- behind news and all that kind of stuff, to the point now where res- wrestling fans are all smartened up. All wrestling fans know what goes on backstage because there are innumerable Twitter accounts talking about backstage news in wrestling. Christ knows how many different websites... But yeah, that, that's a big part of getting into it, when you kind of feel like you have insider knowledge. Even though everyone does, you're not special, but it kind of feels like you are.
0: Mm. Oh, fair enough. Whereas
1: when you're, when you're a kid and you're just watching them beat each other up, even though you know it's choreographed to a degree, you know it's predetermined, you don't know the, or the inside, you know, the workings behind the scenes. So it adds a new level of enjoyment when you do. In my opinion, a lot of people disagree with that.
0: Oh, no, I, I can see why you, why you would, and I suppose as well having your finger on the pole, so to speak, is good because maybe it gives you an idea of, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it gives you an idea of, of what's sort of coming up without spoiling it, of course, but you perhaps get a, a whiff of a new, a new a new character on the block or a new potential match, you know, it sort of gets you excited. It's like, oh, this could be on the horizon.
1: That's it. You know, that, that's kind of how I see it. But I know people who tend to avoid it because they don't want to be spoiled by things, which again, I can appreciate entirely. One of the things that I don't understand, it makes me laugh, is that some bookies will give odds on certain events. So big events like WrestleMania, you can you can <laughs> bet on the matches. Who in their what? right mind is, is betting on a predetermined sport? <laughs> And the thing Incredible. is, uh, and bookie, bookies, bookies aren't stupid. Bookies will only give odds on things that they know that they're more likely to make money than lose money. Which means they would only they would only run a book on wrestling events if they have insider knowledge. So the last thing you ever want to do in advance of a big wrestling event is look at the book the betting odds because then you will know who's going to win every match. Oh, that, that, yeah, so, that's yeah. So I, I don't know why I don't know why any fan would ever bet on pro wrestling. It's beyond me. I don't know.
0: It's, well, gambling's a thing in general. I don't fully understand anyway um it's it gets to a point where you're like why you know i like slightly off topic but i've, I've heard people betting on current election um and it's like why yeah <laughs> like why I are know. you putting money on that just yeah just if, if you're out there and you're considering things like that i don't know maybe seek professional help um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> especially if you're betting on a as you say a predetermined you know event that's hmm, okay <laughs> yeah it's
1: yeah it, it's a touch too far for me
0: yeah, that'd be like a, a bookie putting out... Uh, maybe maybe I'm right to say something, and I'm thinking, I bet someone out there already does this. Putting out bets on bands playing a certain song when the set lists get released early. It's like, why? Why would you do yeah. that? It's a, it's a waste of money.
1: No, Fair that's enough. it. But bu- bookies will do anything they can make money. I remember years back when... I think it wasn't long after the National Lottery started, and bookies started putting out crazy bets purely to make the point that even though these bets were insane, you still had better odds than winning the lottery. <laughs> I remember there was one, it was something like um, Princess Diana and Elvis would come down to Earth on a spaceship to prove that they were both alive. <laughs> and it was shorter shorter odds than the 14 million to one of winning the lottery.
0: Whoa, okay. And I've
1: no doubt, because people are people, I've no doubt some people took that bet.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah no, absolutely. And yeah, there's some people that have got their blogs and forums and they're waiting for that to happen. But anyway, that's a completely different discussion.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I imagine there are a few QAnon forums that think that's yeah. a likelihood.
0: Yeah. So I'm just wondering then: is there any sort of side of wrestling you've touched on a few already? Are there any parts of wrestling that you would kind of like to see change maybe in the future?
1: Well, one of th- one of the biggest changes in recent years, and I've not really touched on this, which is a shame, is is the growth of women's wrestling. So up until up until sort of six seven years ago, maybe maybe even less, women's wrestling was kind of. Uh, an aside it was an afterthought you know the the old joke used to be that when a women's wrestling came on that was the toilet break time because a lot of the women who were wrestling especially in WWE this wasn't necessarily true in every company but certainly in WWE the women were almost entirely kind of models who had no wrestling background had no desire to be wrestlers but Vince McMahon liked the look of them they were beautiful women you know men like to look at them so let's put them out there in skimpy outfits and let them roll around the floor a little bit but they weren't wrestlers they didn't really know what they were doing but over, over the last kind of 10, 15 years, as young girls have been growing up and they've been watching the few women's wrestlers who were out there like Trish Stratus and Lita who genuinely were very good at it, they've seen them as role models. To the point now, we've got this whole generation of women sort of between 20 and, and 35 who grew up with that, who are phenomenal. The, the The quality of women's wrestling right now is as good and often better than the men's to the point where women's matches well often main event wwe shows now you know they'll, they'll uh, i think it was the last wrestlemania or the year before it was the year before um a women's match headlined wrestlemania for the first time in its history awesome this 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 shows you the quality of the women now and the faith that wrestling companies have in them that they are as good if not better than the men so i've been very heartened to see to see more of that AEW, this upstart company they're falling down on that their their women's division it's not for a lack of talent they've got some talented women in there they just don't showcase them enough the women generally will get one match on a two-hour show it'll be two three minutes long and that's your lot they're they're basically what wwe were doing a decade ago whereas wwe are really at the vanguard of making sure that women are getting the due, as as our impact for that matter both doing brilliantly so that's that's what i would like to see more of i'd like to see more emphasis across the board on women's wrestling because it's it's fantastic so there are women in WWE, Sasha Banks, um, Bailey, Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair, who are equal, equal to the men and are, are getting the equal TV time as well they should. So more of that is yeah, what I hope for.
0: Absolutely. I mean, of reminds me of what we said earlier, that there was that film fighting with my family was all about Paige. And, and again, my understanding of that was she was somebody that sort of came along and her character people resonated with a bit more. Um, mm-hmm. I guess it was, an, it was another, another part of the shift female wrestling because I understand there were female wrestlers before then as well but it was yeah. kind of another part of the puzzle
1: well this this is, this is exactly it so historically in, in WWE women used to be referred to as divas they didn't have a women's world championship they had a divas world championship and then when Paige came into it she labelled herself the anti-diva because she wasn't one of those you know obvious Instagram model looking type women with no wrestling skill she was a normal woman who could wrestle her ass off so she branded herself as the anti-diva and then WWE when they started putting women into the forefront they called it the women's evolution or the women's revolution they they can never decide which one they actually call it (laughs) they then abandoned this word diva because they realized that it was it gave the wrong connotation so they became you know the championship was rebranded the women's world championship as well it should be rather than the divas because that's that's silly and page was very much a big part of that sea change
0: brilliant there you go So again that's i think another thing to consider for people out there It's, it's not just you know for men it's can be for anybody, and the fact that it's you know, as you say, something that across the board is incredibly, I think it's just incredibly difficult, and it takes so much talent and, and importantly, dedication. And I think it's worth it's worth at least checking it out, or if, even if you're not going to get into it, that's fine. But at least give it a bit more respect. And from what we we're saying at the start, don't be dismissive. You know, if, if 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 you think it's not for you, that's fine.
1: Well, that's that's it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I would hope for. Just a little bit a bit, little bit less being dismissive about it you know if, if it's not for you if it's not your cup of tea fine no one's no one's putting a gun to your head but you don't need to be kind of oh how can you like that it's fake yeah we know we're not dumb but i would say as 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 we enter lockdown too if you've got a bt sports subscription where you can watch raw and smackdown every week get involved watch a few shows see if it's for you
0: absolutely are there any matches you'd recommend people checking out then just to sort of
1: Yeah, I mean, the the two that I've kind of um, drawn to so far on this episode, Ric Flair versus Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 24 is an absolute classic. Um, Undertaker versus Mankind at King of the Ring 1998, arguably the most famous match of all time. Um, I forget which show it was on, but um, Hulk Hogan versus The Rock was kind of like a passing of the torch from one generation to the next. That was was a phenomenal match as well. Plenty out there, plenty of good stuff. Um, CM Punk versus John Cena at Money in the Bank. I think that was 2011. That's an all-time classic as well.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. And uh, I just wanted to ask, what, what makes kind of an all-time classic then in your opinion?
1: So that, that's an interesting question. I, I, I don't know how much time we've got left, so I won't keep you too long, but it's not necessarily just the moves. So in wrestling, a good move, a big move is called a spot. And what you have in wrestlers, kind of, it's a derogatory term, but you have wrestlers called spot monkeys, which are people who just do one fancy move after another. And what they don't do is sell the drama. What you have to have Coupled with the moves is you have to have storytelling and what they call ring psychology. It's about making sure that there is a story within the match an ebb and flow an up and down. You know, you can have the bad guy on top beating the good guy. Then the good guy rallies and comes back and, you know, the back and forth, the ebb and flow. And a big part of that is the thing called selling. If your opponent hits you, you have to sell it because he's not actually hitting you or not hitting you hard. You have to sell it to make yourself look like you're injured, make you look like you're hurt. And that's all part of the psychological element of wrestling. But what spot monkeys don't do is sell. So one of them will do a massive, big, crazy move on the other. The other will just brush it off, and then they'll do a a crazy move in return. And it will be that for 10 minutes. And it's thoroughly entertaining, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't have the level of psychology to make a great match. Those spot fests can be very good, but they can't truly be great. It takes ring psychology to understand how to develop and show a story in the ring. And a perfect example of that at the minute is anything that's going on with Roman Reigns and his cousin Jey Uso in WWE because they're bringing in their real-life relationship, blood ties into this storyline of Roman saying he's the head of the family, trying to get Jay to bend the knee effectively and you know show that he is the head, and he's pushing back against it. And it's, it's brilliant, brilliant storytelling, real pathos, um, real ring psychology, not just people doing crazy flips.
0: Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for your insight there. I I, I mean, you can ask, you're you're selling. speaking of selling, you're selling it to me. <laughs> 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 so, like, I hope people listening um, get that same kind of feel, really, from it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I hope that people get... I, I would love it if someone was to listen to this and go and watch a bit of wrestling and, you know, give it a go. But even if they don't, what I hope people get from this is just a bit more of understanding of why people like it. It's not just because we like watching greasy men in little pants. There's more to it than that. Yes, of course. And so um, that's, that's that's what I hope that people kind of get some understanding of why diehard thirty year wrestling fans like myself why we stick to it.
0: Absolutely, and I mean that is really the kind of ethos of this entire podcast is yeah to give people a bit more of an insight on things and an understanding. And I th- I think Ben, you've certainly done that uh, for us today. So thank you, thank you so much for giving me your time. Um, I just wanted to ask to sort of wrap up. Then, is there anything you wanted to, anything else you wanted to cover or suggest?
1: No, I, I think I think we've pretty much hit on all the bases that I wanted to cover there. But as I say, just just give it a go, give it a go. It might not be for you. If it's not, move on. Don't give people any any snark yeah. because they like it and you don't. You know, <laughs> different strokes for different folks.
0: In, indeed, indeed. So thank you. And I normally ask people at the end of a show where can we find you, but. You're an elusive man. You're very hard to track down. So <laughs> I am
1: an enigma wrapped in a mystery, wrapped in a riddle. I don't yeah. do social media.
0: That's totally fine. But I will say this. People can hear your voice on a few different platforms. Uh, skip to the end. And I believe you had a wrestling podcast, I Need Five.
1: We did, but you won't be able to find it anywhere because after I stopped doing it, I didn't want to pay the subscription fees anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I need five is no longer available on any source. I don't believe, but uh, but Mark wondering. has continued. Mark has continued to pay the fees for Skip to the End, so our sort of five years worth of episodes are still out there if people are interested. Brilliant. <laughs> on that note, thank you, Ben. <laughs> thank you. And there we have it.
0: Another episode down. Thank you so much to Ben for coming on to the show and talking to me about all things wrestling. It was so much fun recording it, and I hope you guys enjoyed it even more so. If you did, then be sure to leave a review if you can. Five stars on your chosen app would be amazing. Tell me on social media. Both Instagram and Twitter are at FundamentalsPod. I would love to talk to you guys. And as well, if you do leave a review, I will, of course, give you a shout-out on the podcast. It is the least that I can do. Thank you for checking this out. If you've not already subscribed, please make sure you do so. Tell a friend, share it, anything like that goes a big way to helping out me and the show. It's just little old me doing this. This is just a hobby. It's something I'm doing on the side of my regular life. But I'm happy to do it because it's interesting and I hope you guys are enjoying it. I'm having some lovely feedback, which I'm very much appreciating. Also, big news I should announce. That, uh, yeah, I was on another podcast. I was on Let's Jewels for a minute with both Sarah and MJ, previous guests, talking about a previous topic, Jewels. See what I did there? Synergy. It's great, isn't it? Ugh, I don't know. It's late when I'm recording this. Anyway, the point is, the podcast is amazing. You should already be subscribed to Let's Jewels for a minute, if you haven't. And you should definitely go back and listen to the podcast episodes with MJ and with Sarah, and the one on Jaws with Mark, who was Ben's co-host, Skip to the End. Wow, I've tied these all in pretty well, haven't I? Anyway, that's uh, that's enough from me, I think. Thank you so much for checking this out. Please go and check out that episode as well, and share the love to all of the guys who have been involved. Check out Skip to the End if you haven't already, and really just look after yourselves. I'll be back again in a few weeks' time with a completely different guest on a completely different subject. So until then, stay tuned and stay safe.